All right, let's, uh, let's go to uh, God's Word, and we're looking at Titus. Book of Titus, chapter 1, and only a couple of verses will be focused on this morning. Titus, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. How do we say that in the same? Titus. Titus chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. They're looking at trust and promises. This is the beginning of a new series uh, that I'm commencing. And uh, I'm not sure how long it will last, but we'll probably at least three, four weeks uh, of doing these ones. But uh, when we have our communion, or oh, sorry, our baptism service, I'll probably focus on baptism on that day. Okay. All right, Titus chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Let's turn to him in prayer and we'll commit this time to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your precious word. We thank you that we have it within our hands and we can trust every word within it. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would teach us now your ways. You teach us your truth. That the Spirit would use me, uh, Father, to convey that truth with my brethren here. Lord, that we might be blessed and grow into that perfect image of our Saviour. We thank you once again that we have this freedom, that we can do this, Lord. And we just pray that you'd be honoured with uh, what you see in our lives after. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, by the way, uh, I missed last week, um, and I got back this week, and I, the first thing I did was I took my sermon and I tore it in half. <laughs> if you notice, there's a cut right in the middle of it. Normally, I forget my sermon in my Bible every week, and so at the end of, you know, the next week I'll say, alright, that's my old sermon, I just tear it up. But I didn't preach last week, did I? So I just tore it up. And then I looked and I thought, where's my sermon? <laughs> and so I am glad that I... Who, who, who sticky tape? Was that you? Sticky tape? Oh, there were three people that were involved in the sticky tape. Oh. I did a pretty good off. But if there's a couple of words missing in my sermon, it's not my fault. It's there. Uh, last week, or around about last week, I was blessed to be involved in a wedding ceremony. Uh, of uh, Romy and Leone, uh, some of you may know them, um, who are now husband and wife, praise God, and they've been waiting for a long time because they had their wedding cancelled uh, about a year or so ago because of COVID lockdown, and they, they got to finally celebrate their uh, their wedding, and I had the privilege of being the celebrant for that wedding, and um, it was it was a, a lovely day. Um, and one of the one of the focuses of every wedding are the actual vows. Okay, so the pledges that are made that, that are made between the husband or the, the prospective husband and wives, and, and that's the real focus of every wedding. Um, the time when the couple look at each other and they, in the presence of witnesses, are able to declare a vow one to another. And so they'll say stuff like, you know, I so and so take you so and so to be my wife or husband. I promise to be true to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health. I will love you and honour you all the days of my life. This I pledge uh, to you before Almighty God and all those present here today. So that, that vow or that pledge is what we call, or just simply other words for, a promise. 
those marriage vows are simply a promise one to another. And a wedding, wedding vows are a big promise. One of those big promises that's meant to last your entire life, right? It's one of the biggest, if not the biggest promise that people will ever make in their lives. Um, in addition to that, you're, you're doing it in front of witnesses. People that are there to record and you actually record it down and then people sign certificates and, and all that sort of stuff and it becomes certified. Okay, And it's, it becomes certified in, in, in law, it, not only in God's eyes, but in the state's eyes, um, when you fill in all the paperwork and, and the reason you have a best man and a maid of honour is that they are essentially your main witnesses. And so when you do a stat deck and you sign in front of a policeman or something like that, um, that's the witness to actually say, I certify that this was said in front of me. And the best man and a maid of honour are essentially performing that role. They're the witnesses um, that these vows have been said publicly. And it's a beautiful thing to see those vows declared publicly, to see to hear those promises made one to another, but it's even a more beautiful thing when they're actually fulfilled, when they're actually lived out throughout an entire lifetime. So we're looking at promises over the coming weeks, and the common de uh, definition of a promise uh, from a dictionary is a declaration or assurance that one will do something or that a particular thing will happen. So a promise is providing an assurance to someone else that something will happen in the future. Okay, That you will do something or say something or give something, that you will do something in the future. Um, the obvious problem with promises and when we make promises is that with many promises um, made between people, there are certain things that's not about control. So I may promise to do something in the future, um, but there may be circumstances that stop me from being able to do it. Um, if I say that I will be here or there at a particular certain date, I may not be there. I mean, I was expecting to be here last week, okay? And people expected me to be here last week, but my circumstances didn't allow me to be here last week. But by the grace of God, we had someone here last week. I might be sick, I might lose my job, uh, a number of things may occur which are outside of my control, uh, which may make my promise to the other person really of not much value. And that's why James says, if you turn to the book of James, chapter 4, verse 13 to 15, James, chapter 4, verse 13 to 15, James warns people about being too um, overconfident about what they're going to do tomorrow because there are circumstances that may not allow you to do those things. So don't get too big-headed or, or too uh, confident about saying you're going to be doing this or doing that or making promises that you can't keep making. But James says in chapter 4 verse 13, he says, Go to now ye that say... Today, um, or tomorrow, you will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapour that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live 
and do this or that. So it's good to remind ourselves that if the Lord wills, he, we will do this or that. You, it doesn't stop you from making a plan, but it's good to remind yourself that we need to be careful that when we make promises that we take into account that there are things out of our control um, that may make those promises null and void. Um, and we need to make provision for those promises in our words. The Lord may not will that you do so and so in the future. You may have it in your head, or I may have it in my head that we're going to do something, but if the Lord doesn't will it, if the Lord provides circumstances that doesn't don't allow it, then we can't possibly say, I will. So there are promises that are made that we can't keep that because of circumstances, but unfortunately, we see many promises broken by people, not because of circumstances, but they simply break a promise because of inconvenience or difficulty. Some 50% of marriages fail. Remember we said it's a big promise, okay? I promise to be true to you for my whole life. And some 50% of marriages, we say fail, in other words, they fall apart in divorce because of, mainly because of inconvenience or lack of integrity. And that word integrity is also defined as truthfulness, honesty, and reliability. You see, integrity and promises go hand in hand. If I have no integrity and I make you a promise, are you going to believe me? Are you going to take me up on my promise? Maybe not. Would you give your home to a known criminal or a thief to look after while you're away for a week on holidays? Maybe not. Because there might be a lack of integrity there. So even if he says, I promise to do this or that, you might, you, you might rightly say, uh, maybe not. But a person who keeps his promise and, and continually follows through on what they say they're going to do, we know as a person of integrity. Well, a person who doesn't do that is known as a person who lacks integrity. And this brings us to the second verse in our passage that we just read at the beginning concerning the promise of eternal life, which is made by God for all those who put their trust or their faith in him. So it says there in verse 2 of Titus chapter 1, it says, in hope of eternal life, and we'll maybe talk about that, that word hope uh, a bit more in detail in maybe in a coming sermon, that hope that the Bible speaks about here is not hope, I hope something's going to happen. The hope the Bible speaks about, every time you see the word hope in the New Testament, that hope is an assurance of, a confidence in, that it's going to happen. It's not a hope that, that you're not sure about, like a hope one in a thousand. No, no, no. This is a hope that you're sure about. When the Bible speaks about our hope, that hope is actually a confidence in. And so the confidence that we have of eternal life, which God, that cannot lie, promised before the world began. And we're going to look at that in more detail next week. This, this week is just an introduction for you about promises and how all these things fit together and how our lives depend so much on the promises, not just by, from God, but people around us. You're going to probably find it a little bit interesting. I'm hoping you do. But... 
this amazing verse that we have a hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Before the world. So before the fall, God already had promised this. Do you find that funny? Well, interesting that God made a promise before the world even began. You find it also funny that the Bible says that Christ, who is the spotless Lamb of God, was crucified before the foundation of the world. We'll talk a bit about that next week. But God has perfect integrity. When we speak about integrity, when we speak about following through on your promises and doing what you say you're going to do, God has perfect integrity. Unlike man, not only does he always intend to keep his promises, but there are no circumstances, there is nothing that, that he doesn't foresee, there is nothing that can come up that can stop him from keeping his promises like us. Does that make sense? So people break promises for two main reasons. Circumstances don't allow them to keep, sometimes allow them to keep it, and two, our lack of integrity sometimes. But God has perfect integrity, and there are no circumstances that can stop him from keeping his promises because he is in control. He is all-powerful. So I, I want us to embed those things in your mind as we read God's promises in the coming weeks because those promises, many of them, relate to us. God has perfect integrity and God is perfectly in control. There is no promise that God makes that he cannot keep. Numbers 23.19 Numbers 23.19 says, God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent, which means change his mind. He has said, hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? No. God makes all his promises good. I love that phrase, to make good on a promise. That comes from here. God always makes good in his promises. God always comes through. There is never a false promise. There is never a, 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 a promise that's made without thinking ahead of, ahead of time. God always makes good on his promises. And this series, as I've said, will we'll look at the promises of God. Promises that we can trust in. Promises that we can rely on. Promises that help us through our own difficult times when we can't see too far ahead of us. When promises are not kept, things fall down. When promises are broken, things fall apart. That's a general rule in life. Um, I'm sure that if you think, even for a, a, a short time, you will remember being let down by someone else's broken promise. I'm sure all of us, if we have any uh, years behind us, have had broken promises that have hurt us. We expected a person to come through and what they promised us and they didn't do it. And so all of us have probably experienced the hurt of a broken promise, either stated or implied. And that means, when I say implied promise, I mean a promise that's unspoken but it's understood, if you understand what I'm saying. Most promises that people making their lives actually don't even contain words. They're implied. 
You know, they don't even use the word, I promise. They just simply begin with the words, I will, or I shall. If I say, I will do this, you know, it's a promise. It's a promise. I don't, have to, I don't have to insert the word promise in there to make it a promise. If I tell Miriam, um, uh, Miriam, I'm going to take, I will take the garbage bins out on Wednesday evening. <laughs> and I don't. I've broken a promise. Because I've made her that thing. I've told her some, such and such will happen in the future. I intend to make it happen. And then at 5 o'clock in the morning, I realise I haven't taken the bins out. <laughs> I follow through, huh? <laughs> Even in my pyjamas, I'm still following through. <laughs> there are plenty of implied promises that we that we make to each other. That's understood as even part of just the cultural thing. If I if I lend you my car, let's say I lend David my car, let's say his car breaks out, and I said, Dave, you know what? I'll lend you my car for a week and you can you can have it to use. Now if David takes my car rally driving <laughs> and he takes it off road and starts smashing it all over the place and returns it to me smashed up, has he broken an implied promise? Yes. Because the understanding is, if I lend you my car, Dave, you're going to look after it. Right? He doesn't have to, to say the words, Frank, I won't smash it. He doesn't have to say that. Because it's implied that he's going to look after my car as part of an implied as part of our understanding with the with the agreement without necessarily having to say. Otherwise, we're going to be if you have to lend someone your car and this is like a massive contract. You're not going to do this. You're not going to drive it over sixty. You're not going to do this. You know, it's going to be. But all those things are implied in our lives to each other, in what we do with each other. On it, and there are thousands of things where we have implied promises to each other. And sometimes people break those implied promises and when they say, oh, I don't know that. <laughs> our culture has thousands of implied promises built within the, uh, the fabric of our everyday lives. Most of us, though, have learned that we better become used to the idea of being let down from time to time. You know what I mean? Um, that you are going to have people who let you down, who don't fulfil their end of the uh, of the agreement, uh, because if you don't get used to the idea of being let down, you're going to, you're going to be broken hearted all the time. Mm-hmm. And even when uh, and even when we may have had every intention of keeping our promises, sometimes we don't keep our own promises. We forget them. Like I said, I had, I had every intention of preaching to you last week. I expected to be behind this pulpit the very day before, but come that morning, I wasn't able to do it. So it's good to have a backup plan, whose name is Alan. <laughs> and apparently he had a backup plan called David. <laughs> but on a more serious note, there are many people in life who have been so hurt by broken promises to them that they struggle to trust other people again. And their lives are ruined, essentially. We see broken marriages all over the place where one party or another um, breaks the heart of the other one by selfishness or neglect. Not to mention the children that suffer as part of that. Um, Parenting 
Let me ask you a question. Does parenting come with an implied set of promises to the children? Of course it does. Yeah, of course it does. And children don't know any different. They know that their parents are there to su su supply their need to look after them and love them. And sometimes that doesn't happen. And sometimes children's lives are so destroyed because of parents' lack of keeping those promises that they never recover. It doesn't even include people, children who have been beaten, abused, neglected or molested in their lives. And those we call significant breaches of trust. And that's what a promise is. If I make a promise to you and you say yes, you have all of a sudden put your trust in me. And so when a parent does something as, as terrible as those things I've mentioned, the, the child knows no, nothing else but to trust. And so there's an implied promise there. And unfortunately, they breached, many people breached the trust they have even with their own children. And when their parts are broken, they often struggle to make sense of life ever again. They struggle to trust other people again. And their fallen nature takes over and leads them into areas they shouldn't go. Fallen human nature, without the love of God as an anchor, is easily swept up on the rocks of life. And we see many lives around us shipwrecked as a result of broken promises, as a result of people just being evil one to another. And many, unfortunately, from a very young age, broken promises indeed change people's lives and sometimes can change them dramatically. Indeed, promises both kept and broken can change people's lives dramatically. I want you to think about that as well. When you keep your promise to someone, if you make a significant promise to someone else and you keep it, it will change them. It changes the way they think. If you break that promise to someone else, it will also change the way they think from that point on. There's a, a, a good example of a broken promise in the Bible about a promise kept and a promise broken. Um, uh, when Jacob asked for Rachel's hand in marriage from her father Laban. So Laban agreed, her father agreed to give her to Jacob after seven years of working for her. Now, uh, husbands, who's worked for seven years to get their wife? <laughs> Not one of you. Who's worked six years to get their wife? Five? One <laughs> <laughs> Jacob worked for seven years for his wife. He loved her so much and it says that even though he worked seven years, it was like nothing to him. Because he had his eye on the prize. Turn to Genesis chapter 29 with me. Genesis chapter 29. And we'll look at that as an example of a, a promise broken and a promise kept. And how it changes, how a broken promise can change someone's life dramatically. Because it did here. Genesis 29. Verse 
Now, in this first verse, Laban calls Jacob his brother. He's not his brother. He's saying he's a relative, okay? So he's, he's using it in a, a more generic sense. Genesis 29, 15 and says, And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldst thou therefore serve me for naught, like to work for me for nothing? Tell me, what shall thy wages be? And Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah was tender-eyed, but Rachel was beautiful and well-favoured. And Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve thee seven years for Rachel, thy younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to thee, that I should give her to another man. Abide with me. And Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. Now just let's stop here just for a moment. Did they enter into a promise, into an agreement? Did Laban promise something to Jacob? Yes. Did Jacob promise something? Yes, he did. So seven years have passed. Jacob's worked. Okay? And he's reached the point where he finally gets to have Rachel's hand in marriage. Now look at what happens in verse 21. And Jacob said unto Laban, Give me my wife, <laughs> for my days are fulfilled, that I may go in unto her. Verse 22, And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Wedding time. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, and he went in unto her. What's going on with that? And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zilpah, his maid for an handmaid. And it came to pass that in the morning... Uh, uh, they had no electricity and lights on those days, right? It's all dark. And it came to pass in the morning when the sun comes up, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Did not, not I serve thee for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou beguiled me? And Laban said, it, is not, it, it must not be so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. <laughs> That's what you call the fine print <laughs> in a contract that he didn't tell him. Anyway, was Jacob's life what he expected from that point? No. Did he receive what he was promised? No. He later received uh, uh, Rachel. Like he gave, he gave the, uh, Rachel to him as well later. But now he's stuck in a situation. You see, he's already consummated a marriage with Leah. So if he lets Leah, if he says, no, I don't want Leah anymore, you know what's going to happen to Leah? No one else is going to have her. So he keeps Leah. And now he's got two wives. Leah and Rachel. And now he's got all of a sudden, for the rest of his life, two wives. And do you think there might be any problems with having two wives? <laughs> Was his life changed as a result of a broken promise? Yes. Did he keep his promise? Yes. But a broken promise can change someone's life dramatically. And it happened with Jacob. Broken promises can change the course of a person's life. But so can promises that are kept. You see, people who keep their promises and prove their integrity are considered more trustworthy and are normally given more and more responsibilities by people as they put more and more trust in them. 
And Joseph was an amazing example of that. So if you go to Genesis, go to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis 39. And we'll read from verse 2. Keeping your promises can make a big difference to not just your life, but the life of people around you who learn to depend on you more and more. And this is a lesson for us as Christians, because we should be people of integrity. Whatever we say we are going to do, we should do, because they should see us as trustworthy. And if someone sees you as trustworthy, they're going to depend more on you. They're going to listen to you more. They're going to trust you more. And ultimately, that's what we want them to see. Because God is trustworthy. So if we have his character, we should be trustworthy too. And if they see us as trustworthy, they're going to listen to us more. If they think you have no integrity in your life, if people think you're not trustworthy, are they ever going to listen to the gospel coming from your lips? No. So it's imperative that we live lives that have integrity, that we follow through on what we say, that we are seen as trustworthy and honest people. And this is what, jo- what happened to Joseph. So jo- Genesis 39, verse 2 says, And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. He was rich. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So his name was Potiphar, this person. In verse uh, 3, it says, And his master saw the Lord was with him. And that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight. And he served him and made him overseer over his house. And all that he had, he put into his hand. Now that's a lot of trust to put everything he had into the hands of someone else. And look at this. And it came to pass from the time that he had made him him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. Verse 6. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Joseph was trustworthy. What Joseph did prospered because God was blessing him. And because he was, he was an honest, an upright, trustworthy person with integrity, the Egyptian, Potiphar, trusted him. And so the blessings of God flowed through Joseph to the Egyptian. That's meant to be our lives. Our lives are meant to be a blessing to everyone around us, saved and not saved. Okay? And so Joseph is an example to us of how our lives should be. We should be so trustworthy, so honest, so dependable, so reliable, that when we speak, people take notice and listen to the words we speak. But trust is easily broken as well. Because when Potiphar's wife accused Joseph of trying to come on to her, the trust was immediately broken and Joseph found himself in prison. So one minute he's actually, you know, running a household where the guy only knows he doesn't care. He just he says, I don't care what what I've got, what I haven't got, just give me my food. That's all I want to know. And then to be falsely accused and then to be thrown into prison, 
trust is broken very, very quickly, even though it's actually wrong, even though it was false. You see, our lives, things break down when promises are broken. When trust is broken, things break down. And I want to talk about this for a moment. We rely on promises in our lives much more than we care to think about. Promises stated, verbal promises, or implied, they're so numerous that we barely think about them at all. And they exist in pretty much every area of our lives. Without promises in life, life breaks down, even in regular society. Let me give you some examples. Who works here? Your work. Who gets paid before they work? Anyone get paid before they work? Any lucky person? Paul gets paid before he works. There you go, everyone. Um, Sometimes. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but most people who work as a job, you end up working for a week or two, some people even longer, before you get paid your wage, right? So what's the promise? There's a promise built in there that if you work and complete the work you've done, you're going to receive money. There's an implied promise in that, correct? Correct. All right. When you put your money in the bank, do you expect it to still be there a week or two from now? What's the implied promise with that? You go deposit your money. Your wage goes into your, uh, your bank account. Is there an implied promise with the bank towards you? The answer is yes. I'll look after your money. It's not going to be lost. Okay? We'll protect it. It's still going to be there. When you send your children to school, what's the implied promise there? They're going to teach them properly, they're going to learn, and they're going to be looked after as well. Okay? You don't, you're not going to send your children to school if you think they're going to, they're going to die there. Okay? Money is built on a promise. So when I take out cash, like a $10 note. You know what that is? That's a promise made by the Australian government that I can exchange that for goods and services. Does that make sense? That's a promise. The government says if this is a legal tender, I can actually do something with it. I can exchange it for something of value. Okay, It has inherent value in it. There's a promise built into money itself. When you go to the doctor, there's an inherent promise in there, isn't there? When you go to the dentist, for those of you who go to dentists, <laughs> when you go to the lawyer, your optometrist, any <clears throat> professional, there's an inherent promise that when you sit down with them and you tell them your problems, okay, that they're making a promise that they'll use their expertise, their training and their experience to help you with your promise in exchange for the money that the government promised you was worth something. Okay? Our lives, and this is only just a few, there are thousands of inherent promises in our lives. Thousands. I'm sure if, you, if I gave you, you know, 10 minutes, you'd probably think of another 20, 30, 40, or 50. Our lives are built on promises and we don't even realise it. We just live like that all the time. We just, our daily lives just flow like that. Um, and unfortunately, because we live in a fallen world, sometimes those promises are broken. When it comes to people working, has everyone that's worked gotten paid? 
No. There are companies that have gone bankrupt. There are companies that haven't paid their employee their benefits they promised them. But sometimes they don't, they don't come through. On the other hand, have, has every employer received the work that they were promised by the employee? No. Because sometimes employees rock up late to work, leave early, and don't do what they're supposed to do if they can get away with it. Have banks always protected your money? No. Banks themselves have gone bankrupt. Banks themselves have failed over the years. And inflation eats away at your money like a, like a rat gnawing on, a, um, gnawing on some piece of clothing or something like that. Now, if you're living in Venezuela around 2008, 16, 17 and 18, uh, and you had $100 and you thought, wow, I've got $100 in my hand, by the next year, you couldn't buy a loaf of bread with that $100. So the government failed in its promise to protect the integrity of that money. They couldn't do it. Many ch have, has every child that's been to school been taught properly? No. Have they been looked after properly? No. Sometimes they don't follow through on their promises. And we know that there is negligence in medicine, that there's therapeutic quackery, there's bad diagnosis from doctors, and side effects from medicines that are meant to fix you in one way, but sometimes they wreck you in another way. That's not just in the real world that broken promises exist, but even in the Bible we find God's people have broken promises to each other. Turn with me to um, Jeremiah chapter 27. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 27. Now, Judah was in peril of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar was conquering the entire world. And he was, he was prepared, preparing to take Judah. Um, because of Israel's disobedience, or Judah's disobedience, God was going to allow Nebuchadnezzar to take them and to overcome them. And now the prophets, who were the professionals of the day, you might think a prophet's not a professional, but a prophet was the professional of his day. You know why? He was the expert of the day because he was meant to be getting messages straight from God and delivering it to the people. So there was an inherent promise. Like just, you know, when you go to the, the, the doctor, the doctor's a professional in that area. Well, a, uh, a prophet was a professional from the point of view that he was receiving a message straight from God and delivering it to people. There's, you can't get any more professional than that because that advice is meant to be perfect, right? But there was something broke down over here. Instead of actually saying what God wanted them to say, they didn't. They were not giving God's, God's uh, messages to the people. And the people trusted them for that. So when that broke down, the whole thing broke down. And look at what God says to, um, to Judah, or to the people of Israel, through Jeremiah, one prophet, right? Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 9. He says, therefore hearken, this is God speaking to them. Therefore hearken not ye to your prophets, 
nor to your diviners, nor to your dreamers, nor to your enchanters, nor to your sorcerers, which speak unto you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon. For they prophesy a lie unto you to remove you far from your land, and that I should drive you out and you should perish. Look at verse 14. Therefore, he says, hearken not unto the words of the prophets that speak unto you, saying, Ye shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie unto you. For I have not sent them, saith the Lord, yet they prophesy a lie in my name, that I might drive you out and you might perish, ye and the prophets that prophesy unto you. Were they telling the truth? No. They were, they were actually saying what was coming up just in their head. Most of what goes on today, prophecies. Okay, so if someone says they're a prophet today. Um, uh, no, there's plenty of garbage being spoken out there. Thus saith the Lord. Same job that these guys were doing back then. Okay, the order that God had created in Israel was that the people could trust the prophets because the prophets were delivering God's message to them. In fact, that whole thing broke down, that order broke down because of men's deception. And this is no different from the corruption that we find in governments, in families, in churches, and a whole range of other things all around the place where people lie, where people don't come through on their promises. Wherever man promises, promises are inevitably broken. Now, I'm not saying that every promise that's ever made is broken or every person that promises is a lie. No, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying eventually, given time, it will come to pass. Corruption in earthly institutions is more expected than not. This is because human nature is corrupt. People have fallen natures. They may even have started off with the right intention, but given the right circumstances, they fall away because the heart is deceitful above all things. Even the heart is... I mean, I've had this discussion with someone just recently and the, the question the question is, well, the Bible says in Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all things who can know it. Who does it deceive? It seems to deceive yourself. And that's the problem with the heart. It deceives you more than it deceives anyone else. And you might then go and deceive other people as well, but it is, its deception is toward you more than anyone else. But the beautiful thing is that God knows the heart. And God sees what goes on. And that's the beauty of God's word. But wherever man makes promises, there's a good chance they're going to break them. And when people lose trust in other men, trust in their governments, trust in their institutions, trust in professionals, what happens to society? It breaks down. Society breaks down. If people don't trust anyone anymore, if people don't trust their governments, their police, the lawyers, the doctors, whatever, society breaks down. Because then what you have to try and do is look after yourself. And you don't have the expertise, the knowledge, the power, German to do that. Imagine for a moment that you couldn't trust the bank to keep your money. Where are you going to put it? Where would you put your money if you couldn't trust the bank to look after it? Under the mattress. Every Italian knows that. Uh, right? 
all the exams, I don't think they care more about money than the mattress, but there's some part of the mattress that's, that's going on over there, okay? But imagine you couldn't trust your doctor to give you a diagnosis. What would you do? Where would you go? What would you do? Google? Don't do Google, please. Have you ever tried to diagnose yourself on Google? It's a nightmare. You get cancer every time. Imagine you couldn't trust the teachers at the school to look after your children and teach them. No one said their children at school. You're all going to be homeschoolers. Who's ready to all to be homeschoolers? I don't think so. Imagine you couldn't trust the police to protect you. In some countries, they can't. So when a criminal breaks into your home, who do you call? <laughs> you call David Zeng, you call uh, a big guy like that to come over and help you out. Imagine you couldn't trust your employer to pay you. Imagine you went to work Monday morning and you realised your employer doesn't have any money. What would happen? You wouldn't work. You'd stop working, wouldn't you? And if you couldn't trust the bank, you'd take all your money out of the bank and the banks would all go bankrupt. You see what happens to society if you don't trust, if there's no level of trust, where people, where people uh, break promises and trust breaks down, things break down. And unfortunately, that's what's happened in the church to a certain extent. When I say the church, I'm using it very loosely, okay? Um, because Christendom is not the church. It may contain some people who are part of the church, but Christendom, people don't generally trust churches. Why? Because they hear of pedophile priests, they hear of corruption going on, they hear this, that and the other, and they think, I can't trust it. So they use it as an excuse not to, to actually go away from God. As if God somehow let them down, rather than people. You know, governments spend a whole lot of time and money trying to increase and improve our confidence in institutions. They know that if you don't trust an institution, that things break down in society and they can't then operate. We can't operate. And so they spend a whole lot of time monitoring everything, keeping an eye on everything, making sure that people aren't doing wrong things. Okay? Um, trustworthy institutions create a stable and harmonious society. But human nature is weak. So the people who work in institutions who are meant to be good come across temptations. You know when you're in a position where you can get a lot of money or you can get, get do favours for people? Um, that is sometimes too much of a temptation for people. And if you don't believe in fallen human nature, don't need to look you know, any further than our own country. Which institutions in Australia are corruption-free? <laughs> you want to offer a, a, an institution that's corrupt-free? You know, is is the government corrupt-free? Is the police corrupt-free? Is the, are the lawyers corrupt-free? No. This is it. We don't. We have to trust to a certain extent, but we know that underlying there's always going to be some element that's untrustworthy. And you know why that is? Because of fallen human nature. Do you know 
and, and, and you know there are corrupt policemen, corrupt politicians, corrupt every, in every area of life. That's why we have to have always royal commissions and investigations and all that sort of stuff because someone's done something that managed to get through and do something they weren't supposed to be doing, so you have to find out what it is. Do you realise in Australia it probably has one of the countries with the most laws in the world, right? So many thousands and thousands and thousands of laws governing everything. You know why there are so many laws? Because of human nature. Because when they create this many laws to block and people stop people from doing stuff because they're going to be penalised if they do the wrong thing, someone finds another avenue. <laughs> and then they create another law. And then someone else finds another avenue. And they, they have to create another law. So the laws keep increasing over and over, day by day, year by year, the law books get bigger and bigger and bigger. You know why? Because human nature is corrupt. And where humans can find a reason or, or an avenue to do something wrong, they'll generally do it. That's fallen human nature. Think of the Old Testament. How many laws are contained in the Old Testament? How many laws? I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. The Jews know how many laws that there are written. Do you know how many there are? 600 and? Is it 615? 600 and, it's over 600 laws, right? So God had given the Jews 600 plus laws in the Old Testament. Do you know why? Human nature. It's corrupt. God gave them a whole set of laws to govern their society. And they still didn't follow the laws. And I want to close with one final example by way of illustration of a commitment and a pledge and a promise that was made, not just by a person, but by a whole country who didn't keep it. So turn with me to um, Joshua, chapter 24. Joshua. Joshua. Chapter 24. Now they're in the promised land. God had saved them, God saved Israel out of, out of uh, Egypt. He brought them through the desert. Yeah, they were, they were going around for 40 years because they, of their, uh, of their um, disobedience. He's brought them into the promised land. He's given them the promised land. And now Joshua rounds up the people because he's about to die. Okay? And he wants to make sure that these guys are all on the same page and that they and they they have their eyes focused on God because they're already becoming corrupted in this new land. They're already following the, the gods of the of the of the, the, the people that were in in that area. Okay, look at what it says in Joshua twenty four fourteen. Joshua twenty four fourteen. Now Joshua is speaking to Israel and he says, "Now therefore fear the Lord." And serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, if it's wrong to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your, forefather, which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, which is why God destroyed them, all the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now look at what the people answered. Verse 16 says, And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord and to serve other gods. 
For the Lord our God, He it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and which did these great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye cannot serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive you your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, he has done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, no, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves, that ye have, cho- that ye have chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, We are witnesses. Now therefore, put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, the Lord our God will we serve and his voice will we obey. Is that a pledge? Yeah. Is that a promise? Yeah. Do you know how long they kept it for? As soon as Joshua died. They went chasing after other gods. Man has fallen nature. We do well to be sceptical when we, when we receive promises from other people and to be wary because everyone has a fallen nature. Even Christians struggle with their fallen nature sometimes. But we understand that society breaks down if you don't, if there's no trust at all. But there is one that's perfectly trustworthy because when he makes a promise, he's not a man that he should lie. He doesn't have a fallen nature as we do and the promise that he makes he always always keeps and the most precious promise we have that we that many of us in this room I know have taken advantage of and received is the gift of eternal life and that's a promise that he made before the foundation of the world and he keeps his promises and he's written that promise down numerous times in his word And that word is his promise to us. And so going just back to Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And this is what I want to finish up with today. That eternal life is not a reward for your good effort. Eternal life is not... Um, come, does not come through your merit, meritorious uh, efforts and works and, and deeds that you do. It isn't maintained by your meritorious deeds and efforts and, uh, and works that you do. No, eternal life is a gift that he won for us. Eternal life is a gift that he purchased for us. And it cost him what we celebrated this morning. It cost him the death of his own son. He allowed his son, and I, I would not do it if it was my daughter. Okay? I would not allow my daughter to go through the suffering that our Saviour did. I would struggle with that. But he did it for you, and he did it for me. 
And so if you've received that gift today, then you have much reason to rejoice because you've recognized how much He loves you. And if you have the love of God, then you have every chance of having a wonderfully full life. If you haven't experienced the love of God, if you don't know His grace, His mercy, His peace, then I invite you today to come and know it. You can receive it in a moment. He'll give it to you freely. And Jesus allowed His arms to be stretched out on that cross. Look at that as a picture of Him welcoming everyone. Okay? And His arms still open now. He's not on the cross anymore, but he still holds, he still has those nail prints in his hand and his feet. He still has a hole in his side. And that's telling you the door is still open. If you haven't walked through that door, and that door is Jesus Christ, and received the gift of eternal life that no one can take from you, then this morning should be the day. Why would you waste another day? Why would you throw another day away not knowing where you're going to be tomorrow. There's no promise made to you or me that we will actually be alive tomorrow. Did you know that? There is no promise. God didn't promise you're going to survive the rest of today. So please, if you don't know you're going to live another day or another week, why would you waste the next day or the next week not knowing and not receiving the grace and the love and the gift of God which is found in the eternal life that we have in Jesus Christ. Why would you throw that away? Our days are numbered. They're short. As James says, we're like a, a vapour that's here today and gone tomorrow. We don't even know when the next gust of wind is going to come through and blow us away. So today, I challenge you. I implore you. Receive.